It's so good to be God's people together. Amen? Amen. It looks like a lot of us are staying warm and staying smart because it's cold out there. So I want to say hello again to those of you who are joining online or who are unable to be here. We're so glad that we are here together. And I want to invite you to uh, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be there in just a minute. That's in the New Testament there. Ephesians chapter 2, and if you're here in person and you didn't already and you're a follower of Jesus, if you would grab one of these communion packs, which are up here at the front, and if you're at home joining us, I know it may feel a little different or weird, but if you want to grab a piece of bread and maybe a sip of wine or a sip of juice, just because we're apart, that does not make us any less family as we share communion at the end of our time together this evening. So, We have been looking at our five core practices of the neighborhood church. You see these pretty little icons there on the screen by our one and only Aaron Stone. Shout out to Aaron. You'll notice our first one there, signified by that cross, is to follow Jesus. That's really the foundation for everything it means to be a Christian, is to follow Jesus. The second one, you see the house there. What does that represent? You guys remember our second core practice? It's to love neighbor. Then our third practice there, signified by the little sprout, is to what? To grow disciples. And then last week, we looked at our fourth core practice, which is to create space. You like that circle elbowing out some room, some space for God and others? And then finally, that brings us to our fifth core practice, which is to bring peace. This is what we're looking at this evening. And in just a moment, we'll be there in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if you were to ask some neighborhood church folk, they'd say, oh, yeah, our fifth core practice, that's like our mission practice, right? That's the thing that we do when we go out into the world and into our neighborhood. Things like what? Things like our clothes closet. Becky posted a year-end summary at the end of 2021. We gave out nearly 2,000 items. We gave out coats and school uniforms, clothes throughout the week, throughout the month. We saw hundreds of people throughout our neighborhood, but more than that, it's establishing and building a relationship with our friends and our neighbors in the community. So we say, yeah, yeah, that's like our mission thing, bring peace, it's like our closed closet stuff. Or maybe shout out to the neighborhood table, which we hope to resurrect here soon, where we were sharing a meal and sharing good news and just sharing time and laughter with over food. We talk about uh, our trips or just building a kingdom presence in and amongst our neighborhood groups out and about. Spaces where we can share good news, right? This is our mission core practice. But I think that so often we can talk about what we do, but tonight I wanted to go back and say, okay, but why? What's the why? What's the source? Not just the stuff we go out and do, not the what, what's the why? Why do we bring peace? So tonight's sermon's a little different. It's going to be in four chunks that on the surface may seem a little bit disconnected, but I hope that these four chunks serve as puzzle pieces fitting together to answer that question and inspire us before we go out and do the what that we can look at the why. Those four puzzle pieces tonight, I'm going to give you an image after we read this passage in Ephesians. 
I'm going to give you our practice, what we mean, bring peace. Then I'm going to give you an invitation, some concrete ways to go and bring peace in your everyday circles that you and I can discern together. Then finally, I'll leave you with a reflection, some questions. So an image, practice, invitation, and reflection. All of that is going to be inspired and encouraged to get to the why we bring peace. And it starts in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look here, beginning in verse 14, which is kind of in the middle of a broader section. And to give you some context, actually, Becky, let me say a quick word before we dive into it. I told you this is going to be a weird sermon. I'm just kind of figuring it out as we go. But I need to give you this idea of context. In the Jewish worldview, they saw two kinds of people, right? This sounds like the beginning of a joke. Hey, there's two kinds of people in the world. But if you were to ask a a Jewish person in Jesus' day and before, they would say there is two kinds of people in the world, and they would say this, us and everybody else. There's a Bible word for the everybody else. It's the word that means nations, and the Jewish folk would call them Gentiles. So there's two kinds of people in the world. There's us, and then there's the Gentiles, everybody else. Now, when Paul's writing this book, Ephesians, the church has become a new family that mixes the us, because Christianity was a Jewish movement, with everybody else. So now we've got this weird-looking family reunion where the Jewish Christians are saying, yes, we love Jesus, but we're mixing it up with people that we would have never had dinner with before. Christianity, this Jewish movement, becomes a new family where the us and them become one in this same house. And what Paul is saying in this section of Ephesians, and he'll say this really explicitly in chapter 3, is guess what? This was God's plan all along. God wants a big old family with us and all of them to make one big family. Okay, I think that was important. Let's dive back in to Ephesians chapter 2. Now looking at verse 14. You with me, everybody? You with me online? Let's check it out. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier that dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh or his body the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself this is Jesus one new humanity out of the two thus making what peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Let's pause there. Who do you think of the groups was far away? Maybe the Gentiles, right? Jesus said, hey, peace, come over here. And he also looked at his Jewish brothers and said, hey, peace to you too. Let's play along as a happy family in me. Verse 18. 
For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He's going to flesh it out. Look with me, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now pause there. Imagine you're building an ancient house. You've laid the foundation and you put this 5,000 pound stone in the corner that's going to set the whole thing right and make sure all the walls of the house are in line. Jesus is the cornerstone and it's built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets and God is going to build a house. Let's keep going and look with me in verse 21. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Paul is dense. And so to unpack this idea of bringing peace and what it means in this passage and in our everyday life, we're going to look at these four chunks. The first chunk is I want to give you an image to help understand what we just read. So I want you to understand that God has built a house. God loves building houses. God built a house because he wanted his family to live in the house. And his family for generations was called Israel. And his first house was his starter house. It was called the tabernacle. It was like an RV or a pop tent that was made to move. Because God's people, his family Israel, were always on the move. And so then, generations later, King David came and he said, I want to build God a more sturdy house with a little bit more square footage. And then his son Solomon built this beautiful temple And so God moved out of the tabernacle and into the holy temple. And this temple was standing even down through the age when Jesus was walking and talking in the streets of Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, when it came to God's house and God's family, there was always a fence built up around the property. So here is how we need to understand the fence and what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. The fence was the law. The law is the 613 do's and don'ts that you see in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the instruction. It's the way you live. Those 613 laws, think of them like 613 bricks or planks that build a big old wall all around God's house. The law was designed to be a barrier from the us, God's family, and the them, the nations, the Gentiles. And you see this because they looked different in the way they wore their clothes and their hair. They ate different, eat this, not that. And if you eat different, that means that you're probably not going to go eat with that person over there because they're not eating kosher. They're enjoying some bacon, and I am going to be safe on this side of the fence because this is a barrier, not just for my holiness and the way I want to live, 
but it's also a barrier to keep us and them separate. Here's the problem. Jesus, God's son, starts to meander outside of the house and he walks up to the fence and he starts to kind of kick the toes a little bit. And he starts to tell the people that love to keep that fence nice and sturdy and strong to make sure that the us stays here and the them stays there. And they say, Jesus, you're kicking that fence a little too much. Your disciples aren't washing their hands. And then Jesus says, huh, And he kind of leans on it a little bit. And they say, Jesus, you're leaning on that fence a little too much. You shouldn't be talking with that woman over there. And then Jesus says, huh, that's kind of crazy. And he starts to kind of like really put his weight into it. They say, Jesus, you're not really obeying our Sabbath laws that say you should rest and not work. And here you are healing and walking and doing all this stuff. You're really pushing the boundaries of what we have had as God's people around our family home. And then what happens is he runs so afoul of the people in the us family and the them family, the Jews and the Romans, that they say enough's enough. He's going to wreck our fence. It's going to cost an arm and a leg. Have you seen lumber prices today? It's nuts. And we've got to stain the thing. It's crazy. So they just said, let's take him and kill him. But what we see when God raises him from the dead is that the fence they kept trying to protect that Jesus had been towing and threatening and bumping, gets torn completely down in the mystery of the cross and resurrection. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 and places like Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews says, and Colossians 1, is that something on the cross happened where he not only broke down the chains of sin, death, and evil that had its way over humanity. He also kicked down the wall that divided the us and them so that there could only be one family and God could get a new house with a lot more square footage. So Jesus and his followers start going to everyone, everywhere, announcing good news that the door's open, come on in, there's plenty of room in my father's house. So Jesus had wandered out, kicked down the fence, and he started saying, hey, you want in? There's a party at my dad's house, let's go. And so Jesus and his followers begin to go out into the world, and you see Prodigal after prodigal who were eating bacon and so much worse, running home and finding a father, longing for them, waiting for them with open arms. What about the fence when they arrive at the house? Jesus says, no, come to me and follow me. That's the way to life. That's the way. Yeah, but all those 613 stones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just love me and God and the Spirit with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. That will take care of it. Yeah, yeah, but what about the the them? Weren't we far off? Yeah, I'm preaching peace and saying there's only us now in this house. What's the why of peace? God is has always had a plan, 
and has always wanted a big, diverse family and a house that has enough square footage for all people. But instead of a fence now, we have a doorway, and it's Jesus, and it's wide open. And you say, well, even if it's locked or even if there's no passageway, well, guess what? You've been given a key and the announcement that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And all people are invited into God's gracious reign to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to follow you as Lord. I see that in you is life and that life is the light of all people. And so the gospel is the announcement, the key that says, oh, we can come to the party And you enter through Jesus the door, and then you look around and you say, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't a house at all. It's a bunch of people. And you realize that we are the house that God builds to live in. But the problem in our culture is they start looking in the house and say, man, that sofa's nasty. And then they start looking around the corner and they say, them? But God is delighted to have all different kinds of people, warts and all, because He longs to bring peace between us and Him and us and others. So the passage that we just read speaks of a God who has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus, having kicked down the law that divided us so that everybody can run home into the arms of a loving father. And all of these people, it's not a temple like in Jesus' day. And by the way, that thing got knocked down in A.D. 70, and it's never been built up since. Because God has taken up residence in us. The people who call on Jesus as Lord, as him being the cornerstone, and the house is still under construction because God is still looking for more children to adopt and to come and live in this diverse family. So, that's the first section to understand the image of why. Why then? Is peace and this message so important? Because only then, once we get that, that it was God's desire, it was Jesus' work, then can we go and look at our practice, which is to bring peace. Our fifth core practice, our second piece of the puzzle is this. We commit to partner with God in His mission to bring His shalom, which is a Hebrew word for holistic peace and well-being, to our neighborhood and world. The first thing you need to understand the why is it's God's idea, it's God's family, and he's saying, hey kids, get out there and go find some more playmates. Oh, but there's a fence. He said, no, no, Jesus knocked it down. You just tell him to come to Jesus. So we return now to this word peace, and this is what I want to explore with our practice. The Hebrew word there in our core practice is shalom. Raise your hand if you've heard shalom. It's a very popular Jewish word today within Jewish communities. And if you want to just make a synonym definition of it, you could say the word whole. Shalom means whole, like holistic. If you want to verb it, it's to restore to wholeness. 
So shalom is peace, yes, but it's a more robust and fuller idea of peace that's not just the absence of war, absence of conflict. It's what happens when you take the next step and say, okay, now we're not just fighting, we're arm in arm and we're flourishing. That's shalom. So if we're talking about bringing shalom, understand that it's God's. And when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, you see the word peace a couple of times. You see that Jesus, watch, made peace. You then saw that Jesus preaches peace to those who are far and those who are new. And in verse 14, the very first sentence I read, it said that he is peace. Jesus is wholeness in person. Jesus is flourishing in person. In Jesus, it's not just that we don't have to fight anymore. It's that we can lock arm in arm and be brothers and sisters and a family because he's knocked down the fence that divided us and he's also undone the hostility that kept us separate. God has one disposition towards sinners and it's unconditional love and longing. But man, do humans have a disposition toward each other that is suspect and, and, and hateful. And God is trying to dismantle that amongst us. God is trying to dismantle our own hostility toward him to show us what sacrificial love looks like. That's why the cross dismantled it. Because we threw our best and darkest punch at God and we said, we don't want you, we don't want your way, we don't want peace with you or anyone else. And Jesus absorbs it, turns the other cheek and speaks forgiveness. So that when we look to the cross, we can say, maybe there's a better way of life. Maybe there's something in this person that can transform my darkness and my hate. And maybe by giving yourself to him, you find peace, wholeness with you and God and peace, wholeness that you can go and bring to others. But make no mistake, you bring what God has already given. You don't go and drum it up yourself. Whatever we do to restore wholeness, we don't do it because it's a good idea. We do it because it's God's idea and he's transforming the world and he wants us to partner with him in his mission to bring his shalom, holistic peace and well-being to our neighborhood and world. So yeah, when we see people that need clothes, we're going to bring a little bit more wholeness into this equation. Yeah, when we see people who are hungry, we're going to feed them to bring a little more wholeness into this situation. When we see people who are hurting and isolated and left out and lonely, we're going to go to them and say, can I show you where the peace is? And we don't just demonstrate good news in what we do. We declare good news in whose we are. And that's a family knit together who found life and light and forgiveness. So when we talk about bringing peace, we're just going out and sharing what we've experienced in the holistic peace and forgiveness in Jesus. Understand this, Christianity at its bare minimum is a journey toward the other. 
Toward God, toward neighbor, I had to make up a word, toward difference and enemies. This is the Jesus way. You're a good person if you love the people like you and vote like you and tweet like you and share your same interests. But you're a Christian when you've been marked by a peace that brings all the groups together into one big happy family and you see the reason you can go to enemies and people different from you is because you've learned it through Jesus who's journeyed toward us. So we live what we've learned from Jesus who forgave his murderers and enemies and we say, okay, God, give me the strength to do the same. And then we give forgiveness and generosity in our stuff, in our time, in our attention, in our presence. We give what's been given to us. It's always a journey toward an other. I've said a lot in our church that a step toward God always involves a step toward neighbor. If you're not stepping toward a neighbor to bring peace and good news, then you haven't taken a robust step toward God because God will always say yes and he'll fill you and he'll send you to not just be a bucket to receive, but to be a channel through which God's love flows. The why is because God wants a big, diverse family and there's a lot of kids that are a long way from home. I'm not a history buff, but this week I had this thought that I almost thought was too strange to be true. And I had to look it up because I was like, did I just like hear that in a movie or is that a true story? Well, let me tell you this true story from the 40s on into the 70s. You see, in 1941, just hours after the Pearl Harbor attack, Japan also invaded and moved into the Philippines. And they began a brutal occupation there. They killed almost a million people, some estimates say. And they were just embedded and occupying all throughout that region and in the Philippines in particular. Well, fast forward to 1945. In August, that's when Japan surrendered. August 1945, they surrender World War II, but there's still an estimated 3 million soldiers scattered abroad, many of them concentrated in the dark recesses of the Philippines. Now, let's fast forward to 1974, okay? About 30 years later, there's a Japanese adventurer named Norio Suzuki, and he decides he's going to fly to a remote island in the Philippines because he had heard stories in the last three decades of a guerrilla band of Japanese soldiers who were still behaving as if World War II was happening. You know what I'm talking about, Mr. World War II guy. Now, I know Cameron, our history professor, isn't here tonight, but this is crazy. These guys, led by Lieutenant... Oro, uh, excuse me, Onoda, who was a special intelligence officer, had seen the leaflets that war is over and it's peace, and they said that's propaganda. Japan would do airdrops in these remote areas with these newspapers and saying, no, for real, war is over. And they say, nah, nah, you're trying to trick me. So they were going, Lieutenant Onoda, Onoda, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this. 
They say, surrender, because they'd go and steal cattle. They would burn down farms. They would burn down rice silos. Anytime the police would come, they would still be engaged in war. So this adventurer, Norio Suzuki, travels and says, maybe I can get them to surrender and come home. But even when he found him, he was still unconvinced. Because he had been given an order when the Japanese forces were evacuating to stay and stand firm. So he said, I'll only come home if I get an order from my commanding officer. This is 30 years later, 1974. And this man flies back to Japan, finds this retired army officer who's now running a bookstore in Japan and says, you're not going to believe it, but old Onoda's out there making headaches for these Filipino folks. And so he flies with him to the remote jungles of the Philippines and only then does he see these two men standing here announcing peace that he lays down his rifle and comes back home. This is insane. And there's more and more people through the years like this intelligence officer that is still hearing the word peace and eventually finding their way back home. Why? Because Suzuki cared, because his old army officer cared enough to go and say, peace has been made, we're just announcing the good news that it's safe for you to come home now. Understand that peace has already been made. The war is already over. But somebody's got to go and announce to the people who are a long way off making heck on earth to say, come home. There's a better way. There's life and there's peace. So understand this, church. To bring peace is more than just sharing good works. And at the neighborhood church, man, we do a lot of that. But it's more than just sharing good works or good vibes, right? Oh, just be kind, be nice. We're just going to, man, we're just hanging out. No, no, no. It's more than good works. It's more than good vibes. It's that. And to bring peace is about more than that. Joining God's work and bringing God's life into our everyday places. It's to be a people willing to go to the furthest, most isolated, most marginal, and also the people that are closest to you and say, you know what? There's a better way. There's life here. There's forgiveness when you can't forgive yourself. There's love when you feel unlovable. And it's found in the person of Jesus who is peace, who made peace, and who proclaims peace. Our third piece of the puzzle is to then give an invitation to say, okay, well, to whom has God sent you to bring more than good work, more than good vibes, but to join God's work and his desire for them and to bring God's life into your everyday places. So I have a graphic here that I hope you'll be able to see that invites us to bring holistic peace and well-being, God's shalom, into the different circles in our life. 
You see the family circle there. And it may be difficult to see, and it's probably easier online because you have the full screen. But do you see these words here? What does sacrificial love look like to bring to the brokenness or difficult spots in your family this week and this month? You see the word presence? One of the most rare and beautiful gifts we can give our family and those closest to us is our attention. Because our attention is our time, and our time is our life. So to sit without a phone and to be fully present to someone is to give your most precious gift your very life. Would that be to bring some kind of life of God into that relationship? How about forgiveness? Amy talked about this a moment ago. What's the tape that's been covering and being a dark cloud over your family situation? And then you see in each one of these sections, we left a blank. That's your invitation. Where do you sense in those circles something to bring? You notice those same words in your friend circle. And then we move over to your vocation, your work, your passion, your hobby. Do you see where it says passion, service, generosity? God's life is life that's abundant and more than just punch the clock and get it done. The kind of life that's contagious, that brings others into the orbit of the family that God longs to grow. And then you see location, our literal geography, passion, service, generosity. And whether it's location or vocation, how do you fill in the blank there? This week in our house, we noticed that we weren't screaming and yelling at each other. But the tone and the volume of our life had elevated a little bit. And I was saying a little too much dad voice in our life and in our family, Emma. So I had to go to them one evening and say, I think that a lot of the tone I'm receiving back is probably matching the tone I'm giving. So one little way that we're bringing more shalom and holistic peace and well-being into our family, I went over to a wall because I'm a teacher at heart, and I said, we're going to turn the volume down in the wood house. (laughs) Kelly knows what I'm talking about. She knows I didn't turn that volume down on that wall. What does it look like? As little as laying your weapons down on social media. Maybe this isn't a battle that's winnable. But maybe with my friends, this conversation, I can engage and bring God's life into it. Finally, our piece, our last piece, to reflect. I've got some questions here that I would love for you to snap a picture of to reflect upon. Because if that image and invitation didn't get to you, maybe... Spending some time processing these questions might. I can't shake this thought that is so crazy. What if we were the most loving church in Garland? I wanted to say, what if we were known as, but what does that matter? To be known, we want to be. What would it look like to be the most loving church in Garland? What would we need to do? Are there some fences that Jesus has knocked down that we keep trying to reconstruct? There's something we need to knock down, some barriers. 
Maybe the barrier is our own heart, our own thoughts, our own, well, I don't know. What would we look like as a church to be the most loving church in Garland? Those who brought peace near and far. And how about this last question? Because it's so part and parcel of who we are as a church. What racial, social, political, or cultural differences would need to be transcended by the gospel of peace and the person of Jesus, not eliminated? It's not enough to say, well... Let's just all think the same way. That's not what God has in mind. He has in mind a diverse community that comes with different stories and different understandings so that we could learn to live and love together and show the world that peace is possible when we've made our home in Jesus the Christ, who is our peace. What would it look like? Finally, I'll close and leave you with this. Emma asked me one morning on the way to school recently, when will God's kingdom come? And by the way, if I'm like a big music listening person, very loud in our minivan, and I found that God loves and my kid loves when I turn it off for a minute and we can have just a moment to talk. So she asked me these questions, and one of them one day recently, when will God's kingdom come? And I said, well, Emma, why why were you thinking about that? What do you think? Well, she goes, well, look, I'm just tired of this pandemic. I'm just tired of people being so mean to each other. She said, I was just thinking about homeless people in the cold. When is God's kingdom finally going to come? You remember us talking about this? And I said, well, here's the deal. It has, it is, and it will. That's kind of the mystery of it. And I said, Emma, it has come in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He won the war. But ultimately, there's a lot of people that need to go and hear that it's really over. So it is coming every time that somebody says, yes, yes, I trust that Jesus. Yes, I want that life. And it's life that's eternal, not just in quantity that it goes on beyond death, but it's eternal in quality that we can live the life of heaven right here on earth. And that's what we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we are invited to do to bring peace. But I said, Emma, it has, it is, and it will, because one day Jesus is going to come and finish what he started, and he's going to renew the heavens and the earth. And I can't begin to describe what that's going to look like, but I hope and I trust and I just know in my bones that he will. And to the degree that we bring peace in our neighborhood and world is to do our part in our little square foot of earth to bring more and more of God's life and God's heaven here in our space. So may we be a church that commits to partner with God in his mission to bring his shalom to our neighborhood and world. Amen. Tonight's benediction was written by Aubrey Smith. May the Lord Jesus equip us to be courageous co-laborers with him in bringing wholeness to this broken world. May the spirit of peace shape us into people of peace. May we faithfully carry this shalom into all the spaces where he sends us. 
May our lives reflect the heart of Jesus in caring for every part of every human, bodies, hearts, minds, and souls. May God grant us eyes to truly see our neighbors and to love them as he loves them. May we stand alert against the schemes of the evil one who rages against peace and wholeness. May God protect us as we battle darkness, and may we be steadfast and confident in Christ's victory over all. May we labor in the hope that God's reign is coming in fullness, that our work is not in vain, and that the one who has the power to raise the dead has promised to make all things new. Go in his peace.